I'm Tony Tardio. Hello and welcome to Darren Hinch's That's Life podcast, a podcast where we talk about the big stories of the past, the big stories of today, through the prism of Hinch's six decades in the media. In this episode, Christopher Scase. In the early 1990s, Scase was Australia's public enemy number one after fleeing to the Spanish island of Mallorca when his company Quintex collapsed, leaving behind shattered investors and millions of dollars of unpaid debt. Just four years earlier, Scase was one of Australia's richest men and had hired Darren Hinch to front a national TV current affairs program, The Chase for Scase. Mr Hinch, welcome to That's Life. Thank you, mate. Christopher Scase, uh, the chase for Scase. Probably people a bit younger may not be familiar with him, but he was uh, in the 90s. He was uh, Australia's number one uh, enemy, really, because he flew off and ran away from his problems and went to Mallorca to live. You had some dealings with him. Many dealings. I mean, my relationship with Scase went back to 1988, I suppose, yeah. And uh, I was around 87, 88, 87, 88, because I just, I'd uh, just come out of jail, <laughs> my first stint in jail. Had you heard of him? Uh, Did you oh know yeah, him? I heard yeah, I knew of him because he was he was big deal. He, he started as a finance journalist on the Herald, on the then the Sun News Pictorial. His dad was a radio guy. That's right, Charlie Scase. Yeah, yeah, he was a very well known Charles Scase was very well known radio man. And then Christopher got into uh, the uh, journalism. But mainly to learn about business. He wanted to learn about business. And then he, uh, he was a very young entrepreneur and he started a small company, uh, I think in Tasmania, and then he did this and this and this. Um, and suddenly I get a call from Scase and uh, wants to talk to me. And he said, and like Muhammad come to the mountain, he came to 3AW uh, to see me and one of those, he had all those outlandish ties and very colourful suits. And I remember him kneeling on the floor of my office at 3RW, spreading bits of paper around showing me what he was going to do with the Seven Network, which he was just buy, he just bought. And uh, he said, I want you to come and do a current affairs program. So I didn't apply for the job, you know, and he said, I want you to come, which caused a lot of angst with people at Channel 7 when I went there because I'd been there at the bequest of the, of the chairman. Anyway... We then went to uh, dinner that night with um, Jackie Weaver and me and Pixie to uh, a jazzy restaurant in Turak. And Christopher bought a bottle of, uh, of um, very good red wine, you know, um, uh, and, and said, um, I'm going to make you the Walter Cronkite of Australia. And uh, so I joined him with, and he gave me free total editorial control Total freedom. Now, initially, though, you played hardball. Uh, yeah. Well, over the money, yeah. Yes, which only <laughs> you can do. Well, uh, explain well, that story. Well, millionaires don't like people telling them that you can't afford me, right? And on this day, uh, Scase had bought or leased um, the jet, private jet that used to belong to the King of Jordan. So he's flying around Australia in that. And I've been, I've been on it. It's a very nice little plane. Anyway... He's in, we're on the phone, and I told him I'm very expensive, right? And uh, I can tell you now, he, he, um, he offered me, uh, 
he offered me on the phone, he offered me four hundred it was a Sunday afternoon, he offered me four hundred thousand dollars to go to Channel Seven. And we're talking four hundred thousand dollars in nineteen eighty seven. Okay, nineteen eighty seven you could buy a, a reasonably expensive house for a hundred thousand dollars. So so we're talking about four, four houses. times that. <laughs> well anyway, I, I said to him, Look, I told you I was expensive, you've got to dub- at least double that or enjoy your flight. And I hung up. Went out in the kitchen. I said to Jackie, I've either made a lot of money or lost a lot of money. And uh, he flew to Cairns and called me when he landed in Cairns because he was then getting involved with the Mirage and you know, too good to be true, as it all turned out to be. Um, but in the end, he, he, um, he offered me a million dollars a year to go to Channel 7. And at that stage, you were ensconced at, uh, cha- at 3AW. Yes. You were pretty happy there. You were yeah. rating. Yeah, rating number one and making a lot of money, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd always wanted to do television. On a current affairs TV show, I thought, yeah, I'd like this a challenge. And, uh, and I made some mistakes. I, um, I took some radio people there who didn't know television. But I, but I took Pamela Graham back because she'd come from television and then went back with me to Channel 7. Who were the people you took? I remember Hugh Remington. Yeah, Hugh you. Remington uh, came there. Um, d- disastrously, Margaret Peacock <laughs> came there for a while. Um, Did, well, why disastrous? Oh, it just didn't work. You know, she, <coughs> she wasn't she wasn't into, wasn't into television. Uh, didn't work as, a, as an on-air reporter. Uh, Dermot O'Brien came from Channel Seven to me. Paul Barber came from radio with me to to Channel to Channel Seven, um, and uh, so look. And, and it, was, it, was, it was an unusual show. I mean, now it's regarded as being the, the days now what you see on current affairs was regarded as being revolutionary. Mm. It was called Hinch. Hinch, yeah. And it had the big name, you know, yeah. Hinch. And my, my joke is, somebody said, "Why'd you call it Hinch?" I was going to call it Willisy, but the name was taken. <laughs> <laughs> and your idea starting out, what, what were you? What was the vision? It was like a new, it was like a newspaper on air. You know, I'd have an opening editorial, which they didn't do. People didn't do editorials opening. I would say, you know, you know and I'd finish by saying, "Da da da, good evening, I'm Darren Hinch." Um, and within a year, um, it went from uh, start out in Melbourne only, Melbourne only. And I told my reporters. Every time you mention a town, you'll put up a map with the name of the town and you'll talk about it as if it's, you say Melbourne, Victoria or you know, uh, or um, Ballarat, Victoria uh, because this show's going national. And they all look at me, oh, yeah. And within uh, before we got to air, we'd picked up Adelaide, so I've now got Adelaide and Melbourne. Within three months, I had Sydney. So suddenly it's Sydney, Melbourne and Adelaide. And by the end of the first year, I picked up Perth and Brisbane. And we did the show for six years, four years on seven and two years on ten. And and uh, did it rate? Uh, yes, it did. Yeah. Immediately, or was there uh, a no, slow? Really, no, it, it took a while, you know. Um, but it it started to build and it, it built very well. Um, on my last show, um, in per- up against we only play we're up against current affair was in Perth. It was the only town we we're up against them. And uh, on my final show, we pushed Yarn Event into single figures on Channel Nine. You know, so uh, why why I know it was rating was because. A part of my deal with Skase, and Skase being Skase, was that um, I had a bonus system. And once a month, I'd open a bottle of wine, I'd sit down there in the kitchen and get the, all the figures out. And if I got over X points, like, you know, we were rating 15s and 20s, you know. If I got over X, um, I got a bonus. And I remember one year, and this, this is in 19, like 1990, my bonus for the year was $400,000. You know, in 1990, it was just 
Big deal, big money. How, how did you find uh, dealing Skates. with Skates? Oh, very good, because he's very straight and very straight. And, very, he, and very he left nice. you... He left me alone. We did, he, the editorial did not, did not intrude one bit. At one stage, somebody had our, at the, um, the press conference launching the show, uh, somebody got stood up and said to Skates, do you know what you're doing here? I mean, Hinch, he, you know, Hinch is a bit of a cowboy. You know? And he said, it's his show. And, that, and also, apart from being the host, I was the executive producer, which is unheard of. I usually have somebody producing it um, for with you. Uh, but then I, I lent more and more on Dermot O'Brien uh, with it. But it was... Um, but look, Skase was, was a bit of an enigma because when things started to go bad for him, and, and I'm not excusing him because he, he did a runner, you know, he, he convinced him to give me... He came back once from overseas to face court and that proved he was coming back. So he gave me his passport back. And he took off. Now I, I talked to the um, to the administrator when he was going, when it was all wrapping up and going bad. And it's true that Skase, they reckon he got about eighty million, and, and he ripped off the uh, Channel Seven Super Fund. I'll grant that. And 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 the yacht disappeared off the back of a boat somewhere. But most of the money went back into Quintex, his company, to try and keep the price up to prop it up. So the money he was getting under dubious circumstances, was actually going in there to prop up his, his share price. And the weirdest thing was, the last person in Australia to buy shares in Quintex was my producer, Dermot O'Brien. <laughs> and he came to me and he Poor said... Old he came to me and he said, look, you've got a lot of shares in Quintex. And I said, yeah, I have. He said, well, should I buy some? He said, you know, all the rumours? I said, yeah, it's, it's a good price at the moment. Because the buy price some. had dropped. Yeah, I said, buy yeah. some. I said, yeah, it's, yeah, it's safe as houses. Um, and, he, and, and and it went into receivership 20, 20 minutes later. Dermot bought his <laughs> shares in Quintex. 20 were in bust. Um, but he, I, I did go and do the interview with him and um, we asked him 400 questions. I went to, uh, we call it St Anthrax or San Andreas, I think it was called, some place in, in, in Mallorca, near Mallorca. Mallorca. He, look, he, he must have got away with some money. Oh, he did. Oh, he did. Don't get me wrong. Because you can't live that no, sort of he, lifestyle. He, but he, he bought this so-called mansion. Uh, in 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 Mallorca, right, and uh, and I we, we visited him. We interviewed him there, but it was pretty run down and pretty messy. You know, I mean, there's a value. It was some money, and I remember going inside once. It was quite sad. Uh, Pixie is now back living in Melbourne, but Pixie's. I walked into a room to go to the bathroom, and there was a an absolute wardrobe stacked with expensive ball gowns and things, which. She'd never ever use, have any use for or use again. And he, and she, he had a, a son-in-law called Larkins, and he got bad advice from the sky, from Larkins. I mean, when he was fighting extradition in, in, in Spain or Portugal, the day he got, he got he was, they refused to bring him back, he was convinced by his son-in-law to tear off his oxygen mask and jump out of his wheelchair, which back in Australia, to people who'd lost money, was not a good look. At all, yeah. It's uh, he, he really became a pariah uh, with with Australia, because it was in that era where we went through the eighties and there was money and went, and then we had high interest rates. Yeah. So oh, yeah. Australians were hurting, yeah. and there was Bond and Scase and uh, those sort of hey, guys. Early, early, in, the, in early mid eighties, we were late eighties. We were having interest rates of twenty percent. A mortgage, sorry, an overdraft, I think, reached 23%. I mean, you know, I remember one year paying something like 300 grand in interest mm. on, some, on some business deals, which, which crippled me. And, a, a lot, and people were hurting, really hurting. So the interview that you did with Skase mm. was organised by you. Yeah. Um, 
So he'd fled to go to Mallorca. Channel 10. We, we were, yeah. You'd then gone from 7 to Channel 10, is that yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, you then said, I want to talk to you about, you know, the collapse and whether you come back and all that sort of stuff. Um, he lied to me. Yeah. He lied. Explain all that. Uh, because he claimed he didn't own the house in Mallorca, which he did. Uh, and he just, he, I just know he, he lied. He, he had some money hidden obviously. But one thing he didn't lie about was being sick. I mean, he, he really was ill and he, and, uh, he, had, he had lung problems. He had emphysema, he had lung problems and, uh, and, and he died at a, at a very young age. You know, so. well, from what I've read, his, uh, his children, who were not his children, they were Pixie's children. They, were Pixie's mm. children. Uh, they don't have any wealth now. I think they live in Seaford or something like that. And as you said, Pixie's back living in Melbourne. Uh, again, do you have anything to do with no, her I, at all? I, I think I saw her once. I'd love to talk to her, but I, I think I saw her once. I don't even know where she lives. I think I saw her once in Turok Village. Uh, I think I did, but by the time I got out there, she she disappeared. I know she, she lives up there somewhere. Um, look, the, the I mean, the, the, you know, I can tell the story now. I, there were rumours, of course, that Christopher was was gay. Uh, I never saw any inkling of it. As Jerry Steinfeld would say, well, what if he was? Uh, not there's anything wrong with that. But I, I never saw any hint or any at all, anything at all, except he was very flamboyant and he wore those. Well, I remember you saying that uh, he never spent a night away from Pixie. No, he did not, no. During their whole marriage. No. And he, he, he prided himself on that too. You know, so either she would go with him or if he was in Sydney on business, he'd fly and make sure he flew back. To Melbourne, and he, he what, made a big deal. What's it like there and living that sort of like you know high flying lifestyle? Pretty you know? good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess, I'll give you I an example. Imagine. I'll give you an example. One day he decided that uh, he wanted me and Jackie to go to Queensland to where he was up there. With the, the Mirage was really firing, and uh, I remember some. I, he, in the end, he, got, he, he, he I was doing. I said, I can't. I'm doing the Hinch program out of Sydney that night. So he arranged for a chopper to take, pick me up at the channel, take me to the airport, land alongside the private jet, get on the private jet. We fly to um, Cairns. There's a Rolls-Royce limo there to pick us up and take us on to Port Douglas, where we get on board the, uh, the Mirage One, or whatever he called his boat. And there, were, and there was uh, you know, there's expensive wine and food and whatever, and then we all went to bed and the... The boat took off, this luxury boat, and we landed in the uh, Christmas Islands. When you wake up the next morning, we're in the Christmas Islands, and uh, you get out and you take a jet ski or a little boat to the to the shore, and food and wine arrives. And, and then in the middle of all this, uh, Jackie's agent in Sydney died suddenly. So we had to leave early and come back. And Pixie was wonderful. She just got on the phone, in, in, went, went to the cabin and got on the phone, and arranged for their private jet to come and... Uh, no, no, for a helicopter to pick us up at Cooktown. They, the boat took us back to, to Cooktown. A chopper on the, on the wharf took us from Cooktown to Cairns in a chopper, and then their private jet brought us from, from, uh, from Cairns to Sydney. You, you, you had access to his private jet, because I've heard stories about you and Dermot flying from Melbourne to... from oh, Sydney that, that, to that, Melbourne. That, that wasn't his jet. That was just... We had access to a... Um, executive jets, <laughs> and at one stage when he's going bad, when his crazy going bad, the uh, they wouldn't use, they wouldn't put it on the seven account anymore. So I had to put a five thousand dollar 
um, jet flight from Melbourne to Sydney on my American Express card <laughs> and hoped to hell I'd get it back because we were due in Sydney to do the show. <laughs> Jeez. And well, one day, one day we, we, uh, I bumped into Tracy Grimshaw, who does ACA, ACA, and uh, we're in the Seymour Townhouse, the local bar there, where every showbiz people and journos drink. And she, she said, well, what do you, when are you, when are you, when are you going back to Melbourne? She said, yeah. I said, when? She said, oh, I've got a train I've got to catch at midnight. I said, come on the plane. She said, what? You've got a plane? I said, well, this case is plane. Yeah, well, 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 come with us. So Dermot and I and and, uh, and Tracy get on, get, on the, um, get on the plane to go home with a, uh, a special bottle of Bloody Mary's made up by the, the bartender that uh, kept in the fridge at the Siebel, so it stayed on the way home. And halfway home... Uh, Tracy says, um, where's the toilet? I said, and I pointed at the empty bottle. I said, that's it. <laughs> there is none. <laughs> she said, I think I'll wait till I get home. <laughs> and that was that. But, you know, th- those are the times when John Elliott, um, Rupert Murdoch, uh, Kerry Packer, uh, they're all, the, 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 the big money, it was the big money 80s, you know, and the spending was was amazing. They, they were particular characters uh, too. I mean, that era of tyke, we'll call them tycoons. I mean, they were they were larger than life people. Mm. I mean, Packer appearing before the inquiry into. Uh, I remember talking about his tax affairs. Yeah, and he, you can now go on YouTube and watch it. It's just a masterclass in exercising power. Look, the, the policies were actually were scared of him. I can't remember the exact word he said something dismissively like they said, you know, I pay as much tax as I have to because the way you waste my money, why should I pay you a dollar more? Well, Peter Costello, a very young Peter Costello was one of the guys who was asking the questions. Oh, okay. Michael Lee, I think, from the Labor Party. Uh, but he, he, yeah, he, he, uh, he had them terrified. It was so mm. quite, quite... Your dealings with... Packer. Now, I remember you saying with Radio 3AK, Packer didn't want you. Didn't want me, no. He, he took everybody else from, from 3AW except me. Uh, Is that because there was a history between no, you two? Been, or he, he just he didn't, didn't like you? Just didn't like me, no. He, he just didn't like me. But no. when, he, when he signed you up for the midday show... Yeah, well, that was um, oh, that was fantastic. You know, he, uh, I've, I've told the story before. He goes, "Yeah, I, I, I walk... Suddenly I'm being considered for the midday show and suddenly four suits walk into the Seaboard Townhouse and they said to me, because I, I knew something was happening, so they said, your five breakfasts are arriving, Mr. Hinch, so they didn't order, didn't order any. And the four suits walk in, all the bosses from Channel 9. And then they said, your limousines arrived, Mr. Hinch, and I didn't, didn't order one. And that was to take me out to Bellevue Hill, to, to, to um, Kerry's place. And, uh, and I knew things were going on because David Leckie was the boss of Channel 9 then. He kept walking to my toilet to talk to Kerry on the phone, so it was the only place to get any privacy. But I went out there and, um, and Kerry just said to me, oh, when I walked in, he wasn't there and I was wandering around his study for a while and he walked in. He said, long time no see, son, because we'd almost done a deal where my magazine Focus was going bad and we'd almost done a deal there. And in the end, he pulled the pit on it because he was warned by Harry Chester that it was the first magazine to be sold in supermarkets. And Chester, his boss, his, his employee, advisor, was worried that news agents would get wind of it that he was involved and and boycott the Women's Weekly from news agencies. And so he pulled the pin. But but we, we had a very pleasant time together. So let's just go back a step. Uh, how did you come to be considered as a host for the Midday Show? Um, I wanted it. and uh, 
by the time I got was being considered, uh, Mike Munro virtually had it. But to be give credit where credit's due, Ray Martin um, convinced Kerry, first he convinced Munro he should stay with Acker, that he did, shouldn't go to midday, and then he convinced Kerry that I'd be a great host at midday. Because it's an unusual appointment for a hard-nosed journal mm. to be suddenly hosting midday. And I loved doing it. I loved midday. You know? uh, and, yeah. and suddenly in the end, I... Uh, I got it. So, so then you you uh, land in his office. Describe his office. Oh, it was for his, us, his private. Yeah, it was just it had memorabilia all over the place. I'm standing there, wandering around, just filling in time till he arrived. And there's a photo of Kerry with um, Jackie Kennedy Onassis, you know, on board a boat and uh, stuff like that, and all the famous people, and, and he had a lot of yachting and, and memorabilia and stuff like that. But he's, he's really. I remember the one other thing I've, I've mentioned this once before. As I'm walking out, having got the job, first of all, he said, I, I, I said, Oh, they've, he said, What about money? I said, Oh, they said they're paying me. He said, They're not paying you, I'm paying you, right? Uh, but as I was walking out, having were you, got, were you intimidated at all? No, not really. No, but he, he is imposing, you know, yeah. he, he's a big bugger, you know, yeah. and. Uh, the old joke used to be, say, he'd be really good looking if you take the, uh, the, the stocking <laughs> off his face. <laughs> but he, um, uh, as I was walking out, I thought, I'll just ease things in a minute. I just said, look, um, I said, uh, I said, KP, I said, uh, thanks, I'm, I'm, thank you, this, I'm re really pleased, thank you, I'm honoured. And don't worry, I'll surprise you. Which I thought was a nice gesture, right? And he looked at me, he said, don't you bleeping surprise me. He said, I don't like bleeping surprises. <laughs> <laughs> In stronger words. And that was it, you know. And then you started the, and I started uh, and did the, a couple the, of years the show. Like did he ever in, uh, encroach? Did he ever no. uh, interfere in any way? Did he make comment, oh, you're doing well, you're not doing no, well? No, I didn't, would, never, would never hear from him, would never see him. You, you always dealt through David Leckie, you know, who's very powerful uh, there. And then, of course, Leckie went, went to seven. We might do another podcast about the particular midday show right. era because you were there, as you said, for uh, six years, years. In yeah. interviewed quite a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, Rupert Murdoch is another guy that I, I wanted to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Look, uh, I, I never worked for Rupert. I mean, you could, you, um, I, uh, I, you could technically you could probably say when I was doing a bit of work for Sky, you could say you did because, but, but Rupert, the thing about Sky, Rupert has no involvement with Sky. At all, he really doesn't. I mean, I, I doubt he even talked to the he talked to the bosses there once or six months. There's a big thing happening at the moment, uh, led by former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd, who wants a royal commission uh, into the media. I think no, into Murdoch, I, into Murdoch in particular. Mm. No, um, Murdoch specifically. See, that's that's why I, I, somebody said to me, "Have you signed the petition yet?" Because it's got like three hundred and fifty three hundred fifty thousand signatures, and I said, "No, I haven't." And I won't. Uh, Kevin Rudd groveled to Murdoch when he needed him, you know, when he was wanting to be prime minister and he was prime minister. Now, I mean, I mean, if you don't like Murdoch, and I don't like some of the stuff that they do, don't buy the paper. You know, if you don't like the Murdoch paper, don't buy it. Don't buy the Herald Sun. Don't buy the um, the Australian. And many of the people who signed the um, who signed the petition probably don't buy the Australian. Well, they can't because this Australia only sells about 100 and something thousand. There's 350,000 names on the petition. 
And I noticed Malcolm Turnbull has signed it. But we won't get off the ground. There will not be a Royal Commission into Murdoch, and there shouldn't be. If you want to have a Royal Commission into all the media and all aspects of the media, I could listen to you. But you cannot pick out one, even though he's the major owner of newspapers here, uh, you can't pick out one and say, well, let's go for them. I mean, what about Channel 9, now only Fairfax? You know um, it's 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 a it's a very weak. I think it's a very weak um, argument they're putting forward, and I'm not interested. Um, uh, we saw what happened in Britain with uh, all of that inquiry that they had into. They were they were looking into celebrities' phones. Oh yeah. well, that, some of the stuff that, that Murdoch. Don't get me wrong. Some of the stuff that Murdoch people did in Britain was disgusting, and and uh, even Piers Morgan, who sort of rides above it now, he was. In, in the middle of it. Um, we haven't they, seen that sort of stuff in Australia, no, we haven't, but, but we it, did see it in but Britain. It, I mean, well, in the end, I mean, people, it was so bad in Britain that the news of the world, one of the biggest selling papers in the world, closed down because of what what was regarded as being fair journalistic things. I mean, the, 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 a murdered girl, they, they tapped her phone after she was dead, as, as I remember it, mm. and people thought she was still alive. Mm. Mm. You know, mm. So there's some shocking stuff went on in, in, in Britain. And, uh, and, 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 and so I, I, I wouldn't defend that at all. In, in the end, I think what we want from a media is for things like truth whatever yes, well, truth yeah. is, yeah. to also, come out and flood into the yeah. uh, the public yeah, arena. But, but also, what you're hoping for, and it's sliding away, you're hoping for facts and truth in your news stories, and in his comment, is clearly marked comment, comment or commentary, you know, or opinion. So, you know, you could, like the New York Times is very good at this. Their page one is news. And inside they've got opinion pages, which you know are opinion. And, and and they appear that way. What's creeping in Australia, though, and it happens in social media more, is that opinion uh, gets touted as fact. You know, I mean, I loathe the, the Trump expression, fake news, but people grasp at that very quickly now. And then journos, are, uh, we're, we're pretty much on the nose in a lot of people's eyes. Well, um, from what I heard, he, he's, he's using that to discredit the people who are going to criticise him. Yeah, but the thing here is that, uh, that um, you look at the recent uh, election in Queensland, the, the Courier-Mail was shameless in its attacks on Palaszczuk. There was a time there when, when Labor lost the federal election. I think I'm right in saying this. I've seen it. Um, the Brisbane Courier-Mail put out a page one with a picture of Premier Palaszczuk and crosshairs, like a target, saying, you're next. Now, that's disgraceful. And the thing, the encouraging thing is, all that effort on the election, it didn't work. I mean, Palaszczuk had a 5% swing towards her. Uh, One Nation had a disastrous election. They dropped a huge amount. I think they held one, they held one, they won a seat. So you don't think... That these people that we've been talking about, the Murdochs, have too much power, well, or exert too much well, power. Well, okay, this sounds weak, and I know it sounds. But start your own paper then. If you're a millionaire and you don't like what Rupert's doing, go and start your own paper. It's not against the law. But you don't need a license. When we see someone like Kevin Rudd mm. grovelling to Rupert Murdoch, 
to me, well, he, that, he needed him. He yeah, needed that, but, but to me, that tells me that the Prime Minister of Australia, who should be grovelling to nobody, mm. is grovelling to somebody who he sees as having enormous power. Oh yeah, because because, um, because uh, you what you hope you're going to get that newspaper and that chain of newspapers to endorse you when you come up for re-election. I mean, don't get me wrong here. The Fairfaxes, whom I worked for for many years on many occasions, they were they were disgusting. I mean, the way that they treated Labor and uh, to, to 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 keep the Liberals in power, um, they they were like a, a, a the editorial pages were like a like a PR machine for for the Libs. Well, there you go. You've mentioned the Fairfaxes, and that's the other family that I wanted to talk about. Uh, basically, their influence is now gone. Yeah, well, the Fairfax has lost the paper, uh, and now that Channel 9 has bought the, the paper, but I think, I mean, uh, I like reading Peter Fitzsimons, and I believe him when he says he's... Peter Costello, the chairman of Channel 9, or board of Channel 9, wouldn't contact him about a column or what he's written. I mean, I never... Ever. I was writing columns for, for, for decades. I never had the bosses calling me up saying, oh, I wish you hadn't written that. Never. You know? it, was, it was rougher in radio when uh, you get threatened by people like Geoffrey Edelston and so weak people in management and radio would pull your editorial, you know, r- even though it's been to air, would, would suddenly wouldn't put it up on other, other avenues because you had a threat from, from writ-conscious and writ Basically, le- legal action. That, yeah, uh, they threatened yeah, it. They yeah. wouldn't ever do it, but they'd threaten it. And just by somebody like Edelson threatening legal action, you had your management saying, oh, should we better take that down? You know. Yeah. But, but the newspapers, no, they, they, they let us go. Uh, there's clear bias, though, with papers. I mean, if you look at... Oh, uh, yeah, because an editor decides, you know, I don't believe in climate change. So the stories you're going to run on your paper... Will be will be that way inclined. I mean, I put it when I was really angry uh, on the night of the uh, of the Queensland election that Alan Jones, who's now you know, a star of Sky, was on there again and again, virtually saying that um, that COVID was a fraud. I mean, he didn't quite just put it like that, but he had in the past. I mean, when 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 it hit. He quit three two uh, GB and went and spent two months on his farm broadcasting from there. Mm. But he says, oh, he's joining those people, the conspiracy people, saying it's really a fraud. It's no worse. It's no worse than the flu. Well, you've now got two hundred forty thousand Americans have died. You know, we were having seven hundred twenty-three cases a day and twenty deaths. We're now down to what they call the donuts of zero and zero. Um, I've said before, and you, and you, I know you feel strongly about it. The way that Daniel Andrews and his ilk handled. Hotel quarantine was a disgrace, and when the the hearings report comes down, I think it will it will find that way. But I haven't heard all the evidence, so we'll wait and see. But they did hire a private company to do this to work, rather than going to the defence force. The police didn't want to do it. Ashton didn't want to do it at all. But they hired a private company based in Sydney, because in my mind, my opinion, it was an indigenous company, which is very worthy and sits very well with the Labor Party and the CFMEU. At the time they hired them, from my reports, that company had 78 employees. They needed 1,500. So they got them off the internet, off WhatsApp or whatever. I don't know what they call it. Um, and one of the bosses of the company had a very dubious financial record. And, and the company they hired was not on the list of preferred companies. You know, in all, all governments, Labor or Liberal, have like preferred um, companies if they're going to hire somebody. And, and that was an absolute disgrace. But since then... 
with the lockdown, the way it's worked, we've gone from 723 and 20 deaths to nothing. And uh, I, I supported it. I mean, I didn't support and my party, Justice Party, did not vote for Andrews when he wanted to extend the state of emergency by six or 12 or 18 months. I said, I said it's too long. And we went for, we voted, would have voted for, and we put up, but they knocked us down, we lost. I said, state of emergency extend by one month at a time, month by month, with parliamentary oversight. And I thought that would have been fair. But some other crossbenchers, uh, including Fiona Patton from the Reason Party, which probably we now call the Treason Party, uh, they those crossbenchers, some of them voted. And, and people will say, oh, hey, you voted for the state of emergency. I said, we didn't. And we didn't vote for the omnibus bill you know, either. You know. I, I, I think we got to where we want to be, yeah. but we were there four months ago. Well, we could have been, yeah. Well, yeah. we hope we could have been. Well, we, we, we were actually there four months ago. In early June, there were days prior to the Black Lives Matter protest mm. where we had no cases. But bad decisions were yes. made back then. I agree. I and agree. that caused four months of needless pain and financial pain too uh, absolutely massive uh, absolutely so people you see, look the, the the black lives matter thing i i support black lives matter but so do i they should not absolutely. have been allowed to protest no, absolutely and they they should have okay fine ten thousand people if you have to i mean we had recently the day for daniel which is daniel's walk for daniel morcom and i've named the law daniel's law if and when it gets up about a, a public register of convicted sex offenders, but somebody wrote to me and said, "Oh, for Daniel's law, we had a we had a um, it was done by um, a, what do you call it? A visual? Just we all, you did it from home, and I, I asked my Goya Club people to put some money up for every k you walk on Friday, which was the last Friday in October." And somebody wrote and said, "Oh, surely the state government could have could have organised that march for you, Darren, and could have been COVID safe." And I said. I, would, I couldn't and wouldn't support a march for any reason, even a cause. I'm an ambassador for Daniel's Morkel Foundation. But people just don't see it. I mean, it's just crazy. They, they don't get the nuances of the argument. I, I, I mean, with, with uh, I, I supported locking down the state yeah. because there's no other way to reduce COVID because obviously COVID was going to get out mm-hmm. of control like it has done in Europe. And it may still so, do again in New South Wales, you know. Well, well but... I look at New South Wales over the border and I, I'm just in awe of what they've been able to achieve. Away, yeah. They have kept the economy going mm. and kept the cases low. Sure, Victoria has got the cases low now and they've done a good job in doing that, but the pain that's been created along the way shouldn't be forgotten. No, it shouldn't, and, and some business will never reopen. Look, the one thing that bugs me and... Jeff Kennett is guilty of this as well, and I get it all the time on Facebook and, uh, and and Twitter. When people are saying still, and are still saying it, that, oh, did they die with COVID or of COVID? Right? And I keep making the point, it, it's a totally bullshit argument because you may have an existing medical condition, right? you may be in a nursing home, you may be in aged care, you may, whatever. But you may have a heart condition, you may have cancer. But if you didn't get COVID, you might have lived another five precious months or you might have lived another five bloody years. So it doesn't matter whether you died of it or with it. Once you got it and you died, you were a COVID death. In the end, you look across the oceans to Europe or to the United States and you see the numbers of people that 
would not have died hmm. had COVID not existed. No, just, so, hey, look, look at this one. You've seen Boris Johnson just the other day. He's now announced they're locking down Britain for another month. Right? They're locking it totally up the whole country for one month. And you get people like Donald Trump having these huge rallies, like in Wisconsin, where they've had the highest number of new cases a day on record. Um, you get Donald Trump's son, Donald Jr., said the death rate's virtually nothing. Mm. When a thousand people a day are dying, and he says, "Oh, it's virtually nothing." Yeah. Well, that's 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 ridiculous. I mean, so so, so I agree that the right decision was made to lock down. Uh, that needed to be done, but it only needed to be done in Victoria because big mistakes were made. Now, the thing is, Darren, and we'll finish on this point: what should the ramifications be for making what will end up being the most horrendous? financial, social and uh, health decision that Victoria has ever experienced because that's really what's happened in making the decision to hire private security and also to not uh, have sufficient resources to contact tracing to ensure that, because I actually think, and I've got no evidence for it, but New South Wales with their contact tracing, if it had broken out of hotels in New South Wales like it did in Victoria, I think they would have been able to contain it. it. Yeah. Look, I'm not, not going to duck it, but I let's wait and see what the report says. I sound like Andrew's there because we want to know. I mean, they've, they've listened to all the evidence. We've got it all what we think happened, but I want them to come out and say, yes, and this could have been stopped because of X, Y and Z. And then uh, the Andrews government, I do not believe that the Premier didn't know. It's not a, not a communal decision. Nobody makes, a health minister wouldn't make that decision about hiring private guards unless it was cleared by the Premier. Yeah, so then you get down to the, the nitty gritty is this. We've got a Premier who made the right decision in locking down the state. A Premier who's now got us down to zero figures. But it's a Premier who lied mm. and is continuing to lie about his ignorance of who made that disastrous decision. Now, how does that resolve itself? Well, in the end, surely, without preempting them, that's what the uh, the inquiry will come down and say. Well, we'll okay. wait and see. We'll wait and see. On the coat inquiry. Okay. Mr Hinch, thank you again Talk for uh, uh, another wonderful uh, chat.